everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. Yeah, great, great, uh, great to have you here. Uh, my name's Jonathan, and uh, welcome. Um, I usually get permission to use my kids as illustrations, and Rosa, I'm sorry, I forgot, but just bear with me. She, it's so great to have three girls all within a year of each other because it's like a social experiment of how... <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why I had uh, children, social experiment. The, the personalities come through at such a young age, so different twins, but different. And um, R- Rose has been very responsible. She's, she's the firstborn, classic firstborn by a minute, I, you know. But so imagine we're driving somewhere and like six-year-old Rosa in the back is just very, uh, just very worried and conscientious about everything and saying, uh, Dad, six years old, are, are you sure this is the way that we should be going? Do you realize how galling that is to a, you know, 40-something person who is, like, driving? You're in a, you're in a booster seat in the back there. <laughs> are you sure, Daddy? Um, time for confession, I often didn't know where I was going. <laughs> How many, raise your hand if you agree that the older you get, uh, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Anybody? Yeah. That's, that's called wisdom right there. The great, the great poet T.S. Eliot wrote, all our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance, and all our ignorance brings us nearer to death. He sounds like a real barrel of monkeys, this T.S. Eliot guy. Uh, Well, here's Paul's big takeaway for the week. By the way, did anybody read from 1 Corinthians this week? Yay! Okay, okay. Um, Here's his message, my message, is that this story of the cross, this message of the cross, is foolishness to most people. It sounds ridiculous to most people in the world. It makes no sense to them, to people who never think about their guilt. It makes no sense to people who are, who are fed on this idea that you have the power within you to change your life. It made no sense to the Jews of that day who were waiting for salvation in political terms. It made no sense to the Greeks of that day who, who thought of their small g gods as apathetic or unfeeling. If if they existed at all. And so now we're talking in, in 1 Corinthians, but um, I like how Paul, at the end of Romans, Paul wrote Romans as well, and he ends with this benediction. He says, To the only wise God be glory forever in Christ Jesus. Amen. The only wise God, or, or how, how it's translated in, in Greek is mono. Sapho Theo, Mono Sapho Theo, the only wise God. Paul says that God alone is wise. If you compare the sum 
wisdom of anyone, anything, any other god or guru or philosopher and compare it to God and all his wisdom, you find that they're all half-wits, nincompoops, dum-dums. God alone is the only one that we can actually say is truly wise. In comparison to God, everything else looks like just utter bumbling folly. So about 10 years ago, Futures Magazine did this article in which they cataloged some of the very worst and most egregious examples of human wisdom through their predictions. And here's a sampling of them. In the year AD 100, the Roman engineer Julius Sextus Frontinus said this, Inventions have long since reached their limit. I see no further developments. This is the year 100 AD. In 1895, there was a very worried teacher of Albert Einstein who told Einstein's father, said, you know, it doesn't matter what he does, he'll never really amount to anything. Way to go, Einstein. Maybe that's where that saying came from. In 1949, some people in this room were, were born uh, in that era of 1949, there was a renowned scientist, John von Neumann. He actually worked on the Manhattan Project. Here's what he said. It would appear we have reached the limits of what is possible with computer technology. In 1954, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles said, the Japanese don't make anything that the people in the U.S. would actually want. And as recently as 1995, Bob Metcalf, the editor of InfoWorld, said, I predict the internet will go spectacularly supernova and then in 1996 will catastrophically collapse. Yeah, whatever happened to that internet? And on and on and on. And you can see why Paul would say the only wise God. If you want the fullness of unfailing wisdom, you've got to look to God. It's a big theme in the Old Testament, the wisdom literature, primarily the Proverbs. I talked to somebody yesterday who's, who's reading through a chapter of the Proverbs, uh, one a month, and uh, tells us to make wisdom the highest treasure that we go after. Don't, don't chase horses or chariots. Put all of those goals way down the list. Not RSPs, not money, not possessions. You should put all your energy toward chasing after wisdom. Dig for it. Pursue it. Long for it. Pray for it. Be a wise person. And, and we've seen as demonstrated through Solomon himself that if you make those other things fame and money and security, your top priority. You may be rich, but you could be a rich idiot. So put wisdom at the top of your list. And then if that other stuff comes, you'll actually know what to do with it. And so what we find as we look at wisdom, as understood in the Old Testament, is that wisdom, I think you know this, isn't so much a uh, cerebral brain power SAT thing, so much as wisdom is the art of living well, okay? Uh, it's about what you do with the things that you know. In fact, if you look at how the Proverbs describes wisdom, uh, the wisest person in the room is, is hardly ever the one with the highest IQ, right? Often, <laughs> often the one with the highest IQ is the one called the mocker, um, and it is 
an absolute menace. You know, we know some people like that, right? The person who's very bright and uses all that intelligence to sort of rip and tear at God and the things that matter most. You know, just put up the picture of some people that I think are funny. I, I respect their intelligence. I don't have a particular uh, ax to grind with them. People like Bill Maher and Penn Jillette and Sam Harris and Ricky Gervais. But they spend an inordinate amount of time being the mocker, trying to rip down people of faith, things of the supernatural. And Proverbs says that um, despite your high IQ, you, you can't even compare to the wisdom of God. So wisdom is less about quality or capacity of your mind. It's about the quality and capacity of your soul. And uh, it's, it's character. Wisdom is fundamentally character. It's righteousness. It's being corrected by somebody and you saying, thank you. That, that might have saved me from doing something really dumb. Instead of, you know, who are you to tell me? You're just as messed up as I am. That's called folly in the Bible. It says, folly rages at rebuke and correction. Monosophotheo, the only wise God. The wisdom of God is a, is a significant cut above anything that we would call wisdom. Here's what Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mono, Sapho, Theo, the only wise God. There there's a wisdom that transcends anything, anywhere, anytime. This, this prediction I can make with boldness and some degree of certainty. It doesn't matter how many whiz-bang, cool, nifty gadgets that we come up with as, as, as humans on earth, and we come up with some cool ones. Self-driving cars are just around the corner. Artificial intelligence. You know, there's an app where you can put your face on the actors and actresses of the most famous movie scenes in all of history. Man, if I had that when I was 14 years old, like I just, I never would have uh, left my screen. We, we continue to innovate in ways that I can't even comprehend, but we will still desperately be in need of a, a wisdom that is higher than ourselves. And so that's why James says in the New Testament, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Ask God for it. So, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18. If you have your Bible, uh, follow along with me, or we'll put it up on the screen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ 
crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So the, so the wisdom of God displayed on the cross um, is like foolishness to the world. Paul then deals with the wisdom of God that is displayed in the church, and that looks like foolishness to the world. And he goes on. He says, verse 26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. I think he's talking about us. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Okay, should we be getting offended by now? God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Okay, we get it. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And this is why. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think Paul realizes how counterintuitive this is. The cross and the church are counterintuitive evidences for the wisdom of God. Now, creation itself, I think, is intuitive evidence for the wisdom of God. The intricacy of the human body and cells and DNA and our brain, that's intuitive. The moral law that seems to be embedded in every human heart, that's intuitive. That makes sense. But to the Greeks who want wisdom, to the Jews who want miracles, to the cross, it's a stumbling block. It looks like foolishness. It's scandalous to the Greeks. It's shocking. Look, how could the cross uh, somehow be the wisdom of God? How, how could it be the wisdom and power of God to, to decisively crush sin and evil and death? Um, this is a torture device. It's a symbol of seemingly evil and death and subjugation by this invading kingdom. Like, doesn't it represent everything that is jacked up about humanity, about the human condition? The very, the very thing that killed our Savior. And I realize that we have like 2,000 years of this symbol that we nicely backlit <laughs> being the symbol of Christianity. But it, it's scandalous. I mean, it took 300 years before the church would even associate itself with the cross. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's a modern parallel that works. It would be like, it would be like putting up an electric chair on the, you know I was going to say that? Yeah. On the wall. Nicely backlit electric chair. And, and you know, all the hipster Christians getting electric chairs tattooed on their 
sleeves there. And, you know, we're getting nice electric chairs on our gold necklaces right there to prove that we're a Christian. It's, that's how foreign it must have been. This is a scandalous image. Um, and he goes on to say, Paul does, that the church, the church is where God's wisdom really shines forth. I mean, that sounds cray-cray. Like, I mean, this thing called the church, you know this, has become a laughingstock in the world. Who is phoning up the church and saying, we've got this political crisis, you know? We've got this economic meltdown, and, and there's war on the, on the verge of happening, and we need you to tell us what to do. I assure you, Chris and Glenn and I are not getting those calls midweek. The mayor is not asking for our advice. We're not perceived by the world as a showcase for secret wisdom. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. You can take the most foolish-looking thing that God has ever done, and it will still beat out anything that the best human wisdom could come up with. God's wisdom trumps human wisdom every time. Every time. Now think about this. From time immemorial to present day, when faced with uh, humanity's greatest plight, how do, how do we get saved? How do we get saved? How do we overcome the problem of evil? Well, the world answers that one of two ways. The world either says that the answer is love. Hey, all you need is love. Can't we just, can't we just all get along? Hands across America, just love, group hug, everybody. And make no mistake, God is love. God, he's not just loving. God is the inventor, the sustainer, the personification of love. God is love. So all you need is love is great until you bring up Hitler and pedophiles and all the ways that I am unloving and undeserving and broken and evil. And then the world's solution is, seems to be love without justice. And if the world doesn't go the love route, it goes the justice route. Well, you just need to be good. And to this I always ask, well, how good? How good is good? The problem with the justice solution is that the world just doesn't know what the standard of goodness is. You know, the symbol of justice is a pair of scales, right? If we bring our pile of good stuff and our pile of bad stuff, we kind of hope that the, the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. Would anybody admit to watching The Good Place? All right. We'll be praying for my family especially. And uh, <clears throat> funny show. Uh, lots of good illustrative moments. Uh, but a messed up point system algorithm of who gets in the good place based on the stuff you do or don't do. And so the world, the world asks for fairness, but you know, the truth is we will never be saved through fairness because at the cross, there's level ground. At the cross, God's not interested in your pile of good or your pile of bad. At the cross, God is perfectly loving and he's perfectly just. 
He doesn't, he doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. And yet he loves infinitely. You know, at the cross, God takes it all, all of our sin, the whole lot of it, and he pours out his wrath on it. He consumes it completely. And justice is done at the cross. And when justice is done, God turns and he pours out love and mercy. That's, that's wisdom. Man's wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom of God. The cross is God's wisdom. It's, it's not ours. And then there's the church, another one of God's ideas. Let's say you were given the mandate to, to build a company, okay? A corporation or an enterprise. And it had to be sustained for 2,000 years. And it had to be global, right? Every country. And your business had to be in the slums of the world. And it had to be in the highest places of influence in society. Okay, not only that, um, it has to have incredible reach and it has to do the work of transforming lives so much so the competition can't even touch it. So you have to be able to take crack addicts and prostitutes and hardened criminals and arrogant, prideful people who don't think that they need to change and you got to take racists and you have to transform their lives entirely. That's your mandate. Whew. Okay, if anybody was in the business world and you were given that mandate, how might you begin? Well, you'd probably go to Fortune 500 companies. You'd start headhunting. You'd get the A players. You know, you'd get the creme de la creme, the best and the brightest from, from Ivy League colleges, right? Those are the people you'd start with. But here's what God says. Um, I'll take Jonathan. I'll take Paul Jolliker. You know? I'll, I'll take Bonnie Baber. And you know those bumper stickers that say, um, my child is an honor roll student? Uh, my parents never had one of those. Um, <laughs> because I never was. And I was, you know, I was a solid C student. And... Uh, I cheated my way to a 51% in grade 12 math. Like, I couldn't even uh, cheat that well, apparently. And, um, and when I was asked as a teen or a young adult if I wanted to follow in my old man's footstep as a pastor, I would respond with a resounding, not on your life. Except I probably threw in a few more four-letter words in that sentence. I knew one thing above all things. I knew that I'd never be a pastor. And here I am, God's little prank on New Market Alliance Church. Oh, come on. No, stop. Guys, no. Because God chooses unlikely people. The reality is that everyone is going to look back and say, how did you do that with those kind of people? ministering to those kind of clientele, and the only thing that can explain it is monosophotheo, the only wise God. The only wise God be glory forever. So the only wise God uses the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of the church, and the foolishness of preaching of all things to accomplish what we could never do in our own wisdom. 
So continue with me to, to chapter 2, verse 1. By the way, you'll notice uh, that the dude who made the sometimes arbitrary divisions of chapter and verses of the Bible didn't always do, like, a great job. At least uh, he sometimes cuts off trains of thought, you know, with chapter breaks. So I trust you know there's nothing spiritual about chapter and verses. And uh, in fact, in our library slash boardroom, uh, Byron, we have those Bibles, right, that have no chapter breaks, no verse breaks. It reads very differently, and it reads very cool, and maybe more in the spirit of how these letters were written. So I, I check that out. You know, the chapter and verse thing is a, is a construction of, of less than 500 years um, uh, before you start to see those breaks. So anyways, let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. He says in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, when I showed up to Corinth to preach, um, I didn't come with eloquence. I wasn't the best speaker in the world. Or human wisdom, you know. Some translations say superior wisdom. In other words, other people had higher IQs. Uh, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, here he's talking about the, the preacher. And, you know, there's nothing culturally cool about preachers. This is my least favorite point of the message. This is where I get to declare to you that I am not cool. But, you know, the first step is, is admitting it. And uh, I used to think I was cool, but I'm getting better. And I have, this, I have this boring testimony, you know? I've never been shot. I've never shot anybody. Uh, I've never been in, in rehab. I don't have, you know, children in all sorts of cities like Drake, right? I, I, they're all in my house. Uh, I have one wife, just one. We've been together since I was about 21, you know? I don't have tattoos. I, I drive a lime green Hyundai accent, okay? <laughs> I recycle. I am not cool. And there are cool preachers, and I'm suspicious of them inherently because preachers aren't cool. Our message isn't cool. That's what Paul says. He wasn't very cool. You know, it doesn't tell us in the Bible what Paul looks like, but historically, there's a record that says he was short, bald, crooked bowed legs, uh, a crooked nose. He was beaten a lot, so he probably had a lot of scars, a few missing teeth. I know another Paul who fell off a ladder, had to get some inserts. The, I, this Paul had no inserts. Uh, Paul the Apostle was not handsome or cool. He, I think he kind of looked like somewhere between Danny DeVito and George Costanza, okay? Yeah. <laughs> that best reaction I got all morning. That's good. <laughs> and so this cool Corinth church is looking for Ryan Gosling, but they got Homer Simpson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and sometimes our church culture tries to make rock star preachers. Man, most preachers are 
an insecure, introverted bunch, myself included. You know, how many of you, just be honest, raise your hand if top one or two greatest fears is speaking to a large group of people? Yeah. And so it's a weird thing to yell at people for a living and tell them that they suck and that Jesus is awesome. That usually doesn't go over favorably. Politicians don't get elected on that platform. But it's through preaching that God has chosen to work. So I, I preach. But it's important that it's done with what Paul calls the testimony about God. You know, I've been to enough churches. churches. <laughs> I just coined a word. Quiet, Brittany. I've been to enough conferences, heard enough podcasts, where there's no Bible, no verses, no Jesus. The Bible isn't read. The Bible's not taught. Funny story, nice drama, nice video, followed by a few power ballads. But the testimony about God has got to be proclaimed. And so it has to be the Jesus of the Bible. And Paul says, when I was with you, the only thing I wanted to talk about was the cross of Christ. And this is, the big, this is the big E on the I chart, isn't it? That we can't miss it. This is the most important thing. So if you leave here and you go to another church, please, please make sure you are told about Jesus, that you're taught the Bible, that it could be a great church with killer music and a beautiful auditorium, but they've got to point you to Jesus. Because the whole point of the preacher is to point people toward the person and the work of Jesus. Now, you may disagree with me on a lot of things, but, you know, that's the one thing that holds us together is we believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. It's the most important issue in all of human history. And Paul says, all I wanted to talk about was the cross. And so people say, well, is there anything else that we could talk about? Like, how about joy? Or how about dating? Or how about parenting? Or, you know, how about marriage? Sure, sure. But it all has to be tethered to the cross. You can't have parenting apart from the death of Jesus because your kid's a wicked little sinner. He comes out of the womb screaming and peeing and yelling and declaring war on everybody. And unless you know that Jesus, who died on the cross to forgive sins, reconciles people, you know, that kid doesn't stand a chance. And marriage needs to be tethered to the cross because you're both selfish and you're either going to kill each other or Jesus is going to have to die for you. But one way or another, someone's going to end up dead, right? And joy is tethered to Jesus and friendship is tethered to Jesus. And we can't talk about anything spiritual unless we're talking about Jesus. You know, it, it was like when I was, I was a youth pastor uh, years ago. I'm so glad that Glenn shares this philosophy with me. You know, I'd have parents wanting me to give the drug talk and the alcohol talk and the sex talk and the dating talk. You know, don't touch parts you don't have and there's a six-inch rule and... <laughs> And there would be this infinite supply of sort of therapeutic, moral deism talks about how to be nice and how to be a good person and how to be a good little boy or a good little girl. And, you know, I thought, 
what if we just taught them how to fall in love with Jesus? Kind of feel like all that other stuff would take care of itself. But for that to happen, the preacher who who opens the Bible and teaches about Jesus has to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. I wasn't cool. I wasn't on the TED Talk circuit. But I, I came to you with power because I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is what enables a preacher to preach. And some of the best preachers in history have not been attractive or necessarily brilliant, but they were filled. You ever listen to a Billy Graham sermon? My opinion, I hope this is not um, blasphemy, but objectively, rationally, humanly, it, it was okay. But man, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and God used his foolishness, a foolish man, to change the lives of countless because God blesses the preaching of the word. That's what he does. That's how he works. So here you are, Knack. Um, such a nicely dressed people. Successful, well-educated, a lot of business owners, well-read thinkers and problem solvers. Y'all smell good. Um, you look like a people who've got it together for all intents and purposes. Are you prepared to be thought of as foolish, as a fool? Because at the end of the day, it really comes down to choices. Do you want everybody to like you? You may have to change your morality and your theology to accommodate and compromise so that nobody thinks you're a fool, a simpleton, an idiot. Or will you love Jesus? Humbly hold to your convictions and say, you know what, Jesus' opinion um, matters more than yours. So are you okay saying, you know what, I'll be a fool for Jesus. I'll trust in the wisdom of God, which granted looks like foolishness in GTA in 2019. I'm a Bible-believing Jesus freak. And I'm cool with that. And young person today, can you be confident enough to roll with it? Teenager today, can you, can you accept it when they tell you you're an idiot? Can you just go, I know. Oh, I know. You're out of your mind thoroughly. <laughs> what you believe is nuts. Oh, it really is. We don't respect you. Well, now we have something in common. Um, <laughs> be okay with it. Be okay with it. Otherwise, your buddies, guys will come up to you after work, and they're like, hey, we're going to the strip club. And you'll be like, I love Jesus. Jesus values women. He wants something better for me. You're a freak. A fool, actually. So all you fools who think that God became a man. Welcome. All you fools that think a virgin had a baby. Welcome to a church of fools. All you fools who think that Jesus never sinned, who think 
that he died on a cross for your sins. All you fools who think that the Bible is true and that it's all about Jesus. All you fools who believe if you confess your sins to Jesus today, he'll forgive you. All you fools who think that three days after he died, he rose, welcome. All you fools who, who think if you pray to Jesus today that he actually hears you and answers you, welcome. All you fools who give generously believing that, that giving money to the message of Jesus isn't actually a dumb investment, welcome. All you fools who are enduring a hardship today that seems like insurmountable, but you believe by faith that a breakthrough is coming. Welcome.